This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason, and with me is Rich. Hello, Rich. What's up, sir? Not a lot. I, uh, you know, it's, we're deep into the playoffs right now. We are. A lot of exciting things going on. 2019 playoffs. You know, LeBron's not part of it, but we're still enjoying it, you know. Uh, and uh, But it's been a while since we've been able to dive into our 50-plus uh, games series, going through all the 50-point games uh, in the NBA and ABA's past, and... Uh, now we're into 1987, uh, 1998, and there's a player here who has a lot of these. I'm not sure if you've heard of him, but but uh, go on, uh, Mike Jordan. Mike Jordan, yeah, North Carolina product, right? Um, I, I believe so. I know that you only follow college basketball. Yeah, so that's yeah. <laughs> once once they get yeah. to the NBA, I just officially I don't care anymore. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was right. he was good in Dean Smith's system, but you know, sure. I, I don't know. I yeah. Probably not, I guess yeah. when you take the you know with the reins off him, you could maybe he'll be able to you know. Do some stuff there, here and there, but yeah, I'm not. Right. Uh, how did he end up? How did uh, old Mike do? Because yeah, I remember he hit that final shot uh, at, at UNC. You know, the game winner, and that was uh, probably the highlight of his career. I'm guessing, <laughs> right. know, winning the NCAA yeah. title. Uh, you know, in his sophomore uh, year. Yeah, it was it. Okay, so that's good. It kind of ended there. The most you can do. Yeah, I, nothing really notable after that. Yeah, it, it's weird that you're the co-host of the show when you hate the NBA. So yeah, much, it's but, strange. I don't. Well, yeah. no, I, I didn't always, but now we're getting into the era that I did start hating it. Once I was born, 1987 was the year I was born. The, from that point on I started hating the NBA and, oh, and well, still that, to this day I'm the like you know other people like I'm the real world like people want to bring back the 90s NBA yeah. I want to bring back the 60s NBA only sure and, and that's obviously. so yeah so yeah. so this is gonna be yeah. weird I'm gonna let you kind of handle this episode yeah, it's, uh, it's and all future episodes but uh it's, yeah uh yeah no it's pretty good but yeah Mike Jordan it's, uh pretty good guy yeah not a, good, not a good human being, good player, I should say. I should right. Say well, yeah. Well, you don't know anything about that because you only know about his college. Correct. He's right, right. seen nice enough. Then it's, it's odd. This hasn't come up before, but but weird. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. What are we? hundred uh, like ten episodes deep. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Uh, something like that. Anyway. So yeah, we uh, actually we're like two hundred and twenty episodes, and we're like double what you. Uh, but there. But anyway. Um, yes. So. Uh, 
of course, looking at 1987 to 1998, there are 83 50-plus point games total in this era, and Michael Jordan has 37 of them, which is obviously a lot, nearly half. Uh, Dominique Wilkins has a handful as well, six. Uh, Mailman and Carl Malone has uh, four. Uh, if you look at the number of 50-point games uh, in terms of total of all games, it is 0.6%. Uh, this is a bit of a boost from the previous era in the that we looked at where they, you know, the... They slowed down a whole lot from the late 70s into the um, into the mid 80s. Uh, we're going to get a boost here coming up in the next couple seasons. We'll we'll dive into that. But um, the previous year, actually, uh, both Dominique at age 26 and Michael Jordan at age 23 had their first 50 plus point games. Uh, Wilkins had two in um, April of 86, including one in the playoffs on April 19th. And the very next day, Michael Jordan had his first on um, April 20th, 1986, actually 63 points, of course, famously against the uh, Boston Celtics. Yeah, no, we, that's a game we've uh, we've talked about. I think we did we did a Christmas episode about that uh, that very we did. game did. as well. So yeah, you can go back yeah. in the archives and listen to that one. Very fun game uh, to get into. But yeah, Michael Jordan uh, makes his, his presence known pretty uh, pretty well to the NBA community, and obviously be a few more years until he uh, you know would start finding the success or the true success and the true championship success on the court. But uh, at this point, you're starting to see, and you're going to see over the next few years as we're talking here, uh, unbelievable score, no doubt, and, and and one of the best scorers of all time at this time. Uh, and then he would have to sort of adjust and and and, and kind of take a step back a little bit for them to get title you know into title contention and the league itself as you said sort of slow down a bit but yeah he is going to be one of the more prolific scorers we've seen in, in, in probably quite a while because we talked about how there wasn't really a standout guy uh it, you know much in the late 70s and the 80s the early 80s was kind of the same way as well but now we have a guy that's really dominating this board and as you said almost you know universe has elapsed the field almost multiple times in, in in terms of early career michael jordan here yeah absolutely and um you know, we talked previously in the early years of Elgin Baylor and Wilt Chamberlain, you know, starting to really cross these thresholds and have these 50, 60, 70 point games. For a little while, it looked like it was almost going to be kind of close to even between the two, you know, and then Wilt Chamberlain just obviously completely obliterated. You know, it was it was a one man show. But for a while, it was like, OK, there's there's these two, you know, scoring threats and they're kind of, you know, they have this dual kind of thing going on. And it's kind of interesting, and uh, and this is the season where it's it's really the closest, uh, 1987 uh, that we're going into, um, but it ends up with Michael Jordan having eight, Dominique Wilkins having only three. Uh, Jordan would have uh, eight 50 point games in this season, which is the most of any player outside of Will Chamberlain at the time. Uh, Kobe Bryant, James Harden would later break that mark. And would average 37.1 points per game, which was the most since Will Chamberlain had 44.8 points per game in 1963. So, you know, 25 seasons later, uh, you know, coming out here. Obviously, I mean, I think this is really the season where Jordan went from, you know, being exciting and, and, and being, you know, already an exciting a player to really starting to, you know, be, have an argument for being the best player in the game and, and, and really launching himself onto that path. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you look at, you know, bring the Bulls to up to 50 games uh, or 50 wins, I should say, as well. Uh, you know, he wins, you know, MVP this year as well. So it just kind of it all kind of comes together for him. And that that scoring total, man, I mean, that you know, we, we talked about the, the most since Wilt and, and, and Wilt obviously was playing a, a very different game and was a very different specimen on the court. Whereas Michael Jordan, in, in, in some ways, for all that he was he was great at and everything, all of his physical tools or whatnot is not like a remarkably, you know what I mean? Like Wilt was head and shoulders, like both literally and figuratively among most of his peers, whereas Michael Jordan's, you know, 
yes, super athletic, but he's, you know, 6'6", you know, and, and has great athleticism, but still to be able to have that many points scored and, and be able to do all that, uh, you know, just being, you know, kind of a, a shooting guard small forward, I think is, is, is remarkable. And that's still a year where I go back and I look and I go, God damn, like he almost had, you know, 37 points per game for, from that position in that era is just, it, it, it's pretty, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, absolutely. And it really is. Um, and that's a good point. I mean, Jordan obviously was incredibly athletic and was one of the best athletes, you know, of all time, but he, not to the degree above everyone that Wilt was of, of his time. I mean, it's just a completely different conversation. I mean, obviously he used those gifts, but it was something where, uh, you know, it, it was just, he did it in a completely different way. And, and obviously, you know, it captures a lot of people's imagination and it was incredible. Um, I, so I did want to real quickly though, because we, yeah. we talked about it a little bit in that 63 pointer um, uh, we did for the Christmas episode. But yeah, this is the same season that Michael Jordan, the season before where Michael Jordan had broken his foot and, and really missed like almost all the season. And like you're talking about the sophomore year of this guy, you know, he's 22 years old, he just breaks his foot. Like that should be a big deal. Like that should be, you know, something that's like, oh man, I don't know, you know, this guy, I, I you know, he might, and there were taught, you know, you can read some of the stuff at the time and it's like, yeah, I don't know if, you know, this, this short guy is ever going to be the same he was. And we see him in that playoffs coming back from that broken foot and we see okay well this guy can still score and so he you know he jumps from you know his rookie year he has 28 points per game which is is pretty awesome for a rookie not bad uh then the year you know he gets hurt he he you know he only 22 points per game and now he explodes as you said for 37 points per game this year and really now kind of puts himself on the map and and basically says i'm here uh and get used to me because i'm gonna be here for quite a while so Absolutely, yeah. And, and there were 13 total 50-plus point games in the season, um, which was the most since 1972, uh, the first year with double digits since 75. And this is in a lower number of games because we still haven't gotten – we're still – you know, we're still fewer teams than we did when both the ABA and NBA are in operation. Uh, there hasn't been expansion since 81, so we're not into the late 80s, you know, adding the Timberwolves and the Heat and those teams. Um, so it's still kind of in that reduced uh, number of games type thing. So this is definitely a, a huge burst. And obviously, Wilkins and Jordan are primarily the factors here. Um, Wilkins has one on his uh, 27th birthday on January 12th, 1987. If you want to give him a present, um, Jordan has, uh, you know, s- several in, uh, in January and February of, uh, of 87 and into March, he, um, uh, one to highlight is March 24th, 87, where he has uh, 56 points, seven rebounds, and eight steals, which ties the record for steals in a 50 plus point game with Rick Barry. He would later break that record. Um, but in terms of other players who did so this year, uh, Moses Malone, he has the final 50 point game of his uh, career for in total. And this was the first for the bullets franchise since 1973. Cause he had, I believe joined the bullets, uh, in the, in the season. And he was also the first to have, or not the first, but he would, he joined the club of players with a 50 plus for, uh, three, uh, different franchises. Yeah, it's really interesting to see Moses, too, and he's at 30, 32 years old at this point, too. So obviously still, you know, a good player and still, you know, uh, you know, a contributing player, but definitely on the downswing of his career. I mean, this is definitely not the peak Moses Malone that we had seen, you know, a, a few years prior. But still, yeah, uh, gets his final one. And, and, and I like that. Yeah, the first to do it uh, with, you know, three different teams, which I, fr- I found pretty interesting. And I did want to note as well. Um, 
February 26, 1987, uh, Michael Jordan, he has, he has 58 points. I was supposed to be born on that day, but for whatever reason, uh, you know, my mom said that she just kind of hung out in the house and then eventually the next day went and, you know, to the, to the hospital. And did, I'm wondering if they were watching this game. Like, I wonder if my dad's like, no, no, you're good. You're good. You're good. Yeah. Like, you know, it's there all right. It's a, no, no, no. How, how's, how long are the contractions? Now we got plenty of time. Like, yeah, we're good. Fine. Like, the hospital's like yeah. three blocks away. Like, it's not that hard to go. I got to imagine. Uh, I'll, maybe I'll have to ask him. Was it, was it this game, this 58th pointer <laughs> from Michael Jordan that, that possessed him to say, ah, oh, you know what? Uh, we'll, we'll wait a little bit and see yeah, how it goes. Yeah, right. fine. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. And, and uh, we talked about it uh, earlier, but uh, in terms of players who are new to the club, uh, Sleepy Floyd, one of the more unlikely players to join this club, he um, has the 21st in playoff history. He's only one of three to have 10-plus assists in a 50-point game between 1976 and 2008. Also, the 80th overall player to cross that threshold. Uh, and he joins uh, Bob Cousy, Billy Cunningham, Julius Irving, Roger Brown, John Havlicek, and Michael Jordan as players who had had their first or only 50-plus point game in the playoffs. And this has not happened to anyone since. Um, and is the 21st instance in the playoff history. This was out of, at the time, 332 uh, total 50-plus point games. So. Yeah, it's a really fun one, and I, I like the the, the uh, you know the the ten plus assists as well, which is always a cool little stat because usually a lot of these fifty point games, it's like you're know, you're feeding the hot hand or whatever. But for him to also have the <laughs> the ten assists in addition to fifty in the playoffs, and it be sleepy freaking Floyd, you know what I mean? Like it's awesome. Like it's really uh, a cool one. And definitely one of my favorite like kind of oddball random fifty point games here with Sleepy Floyd. Absolutely. So going into the 88 season, uh, it is more of the same pretty much from the previous year. We have six by Michael Jordan, two by Dominique Wilkins for eight total. Those are the only two players to do so. And this is the first time since 1977 that no one new has uh, joined the club. Uh, Jordan in in uh, December of 87 gets the 10th of his career already. So he's, he's obviously blown by some... Um, some records, um, and then later on in the uh, season, he has two in the playoffs. Um, in uh, in April of um, eighty eight, uh, April twenty eighth, eighty eight, and then in May first of eighty eight. In fact, he had back to back in the Uh-oh. playoffs uh, against, <laughs> Shield your ears. against the Cleveland, Cleveland Cavaliers. Cavaliers fans. Shield your yes. ears. Yes, Sorry. yes. And, and and I believe eighty eight was actually the year that he won MVP. It was it was not eighty seven because eighty eight was the first year that he got. He didn't quite average the number of points, but I believe he won Defensive Player of the Year that year, and then did the won the MVP. Then Michael had it for a couple more years, and then Jordan, of course, would uh, grab it again in the uh, early nineties. See, I thought he got them both years. Am I wrong? Let me actually let me double check. You no, know, he did. Yeah, eighty six, eighty seven. He was uh, no, no. Sorry, that was Magic. Sorry, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Magic won that, and then the next year was Jordan. Okay. The, yeah, another MJ. You know so. Yeah, he's got enough to. He's fine. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> he's good. I'm sorry about that. Sorry about that. Uh, That's all right. He probably okay. should have won it. 37 points per game probably should have won it. But, that, you know, it, it kind of came out of nowhere. I get it. It's fine. Yeah. Whatever. He I got mean, in, fair, in fairness, Wilt didn't get it when he got 50. 50- uh, points a game. That's so, true. Okay. So yeah, that, that's, yeah. that's fair. So, so sorry about that. Sorry for my, uh, see, cause I don't follow this. I don't follow NBA. Past yeah, this point, right. So I just, I'm guessing out that. here. So that's, yeah. That's, that's, yes. So, um, 1989, it is, uh, it is all, well, not quite all, but, um, most Michael Jordan, he has six out of the eight that year. Um, Dominic Wilkins does not have a, uh, 50 plus point performance, but he's going to be a little while before he uh, gets, so he did battle some injuries and other things during this time. Uh, but uh, Alex English also um, also does so at uh, age uh, 35, in fact, and he sets a record for the oldest 50-point score in history, which would last 12 seasons. And uh, Clyde Drexler on uh, January 6th of 1989 
only 50 point game of uh, his career. He had uh, sort of interesting at age 26. That was the only one of his career. And, and that's it's kind of a little surprising on that list. No, definitely. Yeah. And I was, I was doing some looking and like he's got 2140 point games. So it's not like he wasn't a prolific scorer because he absolutely was. But then like when you talk about the high numbers, I mean, 45 plus, he's only got three. He's got two games at 48 and then this one at 50. I I mean, I, I'm not surprised at the amount of 40 point games. 21 sounds about right for me. But the fact that he never got over that threshold, never got to 50 except for this one time. I mean, that does kind of surprise me given, you know, where he was and, and his stature in the league and, and, and the teams he played for. I was kind of uh, taken aback by that because it seemed like, yeah, only only one for Clyde. That, that seems a little low. Yes. So uh, a few of the more Jordan highlights. Um, he broke his record that he had tied the previous year with steals in a 50 plus point game. He had uh, 52 points, uh, nine steals. And he also um, later on in the season in, uh, in fact, in the playoffs on May 5th, 89, he uh, had the 24th um, 50 point game in playoff history. And he already himself had had six of those 24. Uh, and this is his only 50 plus point game where he actually fouled out. So fun little fact there. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, that's uh, another. Yeah, the twenty fourth in playoff history, and then you know six uh, by Jordan. So he's really showing himself as as you know a, a, a dependable playoff scorer as well. And, and unfortunately, there was many of those series where he needed to do that uh, just to survive. But uh, yeah, help help is coming, and help is is going to get there. But yeah, at this point, still, it's it's kind of Jordan having to be the superhero for the, for the Bulls, and, and we're seeing these. You know, we're the beneficiaries of it because we're getting some really great performances here, and 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 you know a ton of fifty point games uh, from Jordan. Yes. So really, yeah, since since Wilt, I would say, w- would you say that's pretty safe to say? Like the most, like, because as the guys we've kind of gone, like Kareem was, we kind of were surprised that he didn't have more. I mean, he's pretty much Jordan is 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 the closest we've had since Wilt of like a consistent fifty point score, right? You, you would pretty oh, easily, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, we've we've had Kobe and and Harden since, then, but in terms of at this point in history, absolutely, right, he's, right, he's, right. He's a dominant. I mean, Barry a little bit, but um, yeah, Jordan's really the obviously the one taking up that mantle. Uh, worth noting that uh, that loss in that, that that playoff game against the Cavs actually came in a loss, so. There you go. See, Cavs yeah. fans, it's not all bad. I mean, not, not, that not all bad. One time, just, you, just you lost. Mostly so. bad. Yeah, mostly bad, but not all bad. True. Oh, look, if you would have beat him, you just would have lost to the Pistons anyway. So, let, let me, come on. Like, you know, it's just holding off the inevitable. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, fair point, I guess. <laughs> maybe not. I don't know. Brad Doherty could have deed up Bill Lambier, maybe. I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So, uh, 1990, an uh, interesting year in, in terms of this, a, uh, a much wider range of players than usual. Yeah, it was it was kind of remarkable here. So this is the first season with three uh, 60 plus point games, which you should mention as well. Uh, since 1963, we had nine of them. So uh, that well, that year had nine of them. This year only had three, of course. Uh, of course, a, a big reason for this potentially is the NBA had grown from uh, 23 to 27 teams uh, in the 80 and 90 season. So we have, a, you know, obviously a bunch of new teams coming in. You got your Hornets, your Magics, your Heat, you know, these, these sort of things. The Timberwolves, of course, can't forget about the old Timberwolves. But uh, yeah, can't so no, 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 definitely not. And then uh, so I don't know if that played a part in it i mean there was 12 you know total 50 point scores so you know possibly it did but uh yeah it's kind of interesting and and, and one guy i think we want to talk about here is dale ellis who i really i always enjoyed his career as well so he uh, he played the first three seasons off the bench in dallas uh behind rolando blackman and uh mark aguire uh, before he was traded to seattle for al wood uh and that year then he went from a uh, 7.1 point per game score uh, obviously you know sailed behind the bench there all the way to 24.9 he won most improved in uh, 1987 as well uh that year 
And then we always talk. I think we have talked about this game before, but if not, this is a good time to do it as well. Uh, classic, as, as as you know, SI kind of puts it here in in, in the vault here. So in the, from the May fourth, uh, nineteen eighty seven, uh, SI they talk about the revenge series for Dale Ellis because he uh, uh, the, the quote here is after making two free throws to seal game two for Seattle and end with thirty two points, uh, he was quoted as saying, "I feel like I was treated wrongly uh, wrongly by Dallas coach Dick Mata. Uh, is this my opportunity to slap him and slap him hard? That's what I did with my free throws. <laughs> Pretty good stuff there. Uh, Dick Mata though, who was uh, not to, to be lined down." Dick Mata will definitely say something back to you. He says Dale Ellis couldn't have beat out Rolando Blackman if he had been here 10 years. Ooh, <laughs> nice. Ooh, uh, Ellis then burn. had uh, 43 and 14 in game three on uh, the Sonics one and four. So uh, I would say Dale got the last laugh uh, potentially, but uh, yeah, pretty fun back and forth there. Uh, Dale Ellis became the first player in NBA history to complete uh, uh, two four point plays in one game in 1988, which is a pretty remarkable achievement all time. I hope he got a plaque for that one. That's pretty cool. Uh, peaked at 27.5 points per game in his only all star season in 1989 and was third team all NBA that year as well. So good for him. I uh, set the NBA record for most minutes played in a game when he scored 50. 53 points in 69 minutes, which is a nice little total there, out of a possible 73 for the Supersonics in a uh, 155-154 quadruple overtime loss to the Bucks on uh, November, uh, quintuple, sorry, quintuple overtime uh, in the Bucks loss to the Bucks November 9th, 1989. I apologize about my dog. He does not like the Supersonics at all. Uh, he was traded to yeah, Milwaukee. <laughs> I mean, that's, traded to Milwaukee in the 1991 midseason for uh, Ricky Pierce. He bounced around the league uh, in his 30s. Uh, San Antonio Spurs, Denver, Seattle again. Again, he led the league in three points uh, percentage that year uh, at age 37, 1998, too, which is pretty cool. I uh, went to Milwaukee again, and then finally with the Charlotte Hornets before retiring in 2000. Uh, in total, he was traded eight times in his career uh, and his 1,719 career three-pointers, ranked second in NBA history uh, at the time of his retirement. So he's a guy that definitely uh, used the three-point line to its, its its fullest potential at that time when a lot of other people weren't. But uh, yeah, pretty fun career. I, I always love the career of guys that sort of start out either on the bench or behind people or not doing much and then end up having pretty good all-time careers. And, and, and Dale Ellis definitely fits into that. Yes. And, um, you know, worth noting, he, uh, of course, this was a six-overtime game, as we talked about. He had the most minutes uh, in 69 in a 50-plus point game, at least in, in recorded history, um, and uh, had the lowest uh, recorded game score in a 50-plus uh, point game. So uh, a little bit of a... Ignomius Mark there, although it's still a pretty good uh, game score for him in in terms of, you know, 27.4. It's still, you know, it's above average. So that's not too bad. But yes, in, in terms of uh, on this list, not so good. But I guess if you're you know taking that many minutes to do <laughs> yeah. so, uh, I mean, he, he had seven rebounds, but only one assist, one steal, one block. Um, shooting percentage wise didn't do too bad because of, uh, you know, but uh, but yeah, that's that sort of you got to try to not get an assist in a, in a six overtime game. You know what I mean? Like you got to kind of luck into one, right? Like where you're just like, ah, all right, like no, I guess not. Uh, but you no, know, this is I was this game's always remarkable too because if you do any play index search for like minutes per game or minutes played, like you immediately are just like, ah, oh, damn it, Dale Ellis. <laughs> like you can never yes. like if you're just like, oh man, LeBron played this many minutes in this game, and then you do a, a play index search and it's always Dale Ellis. You're like, damn it, forget about that game. Yeah. Like, six Dale overtime. Ellis. Like come on, like there's no yeah, way. And, I think Sam Perkins is right up there too, right? I think he played in that game and he played something like 65 minutes or something where you're like yeah damn it like you know right <laughs> like, yeah i, I don't do have it search yeah I, I don't have it in front of me but i thought that it's possible that red holzman had more in that six in the other six overtime game in um history the one that's the uh 
the the famous one from the the Indianapolis Olympians and uh, from '51 and the Rochester Royals. So it's possible that that uh, uh, you know you're uh, probably right. I think I think when you do a play index on Basketball Reference, I think it goes only from '83 to '84. So I think that's right. probably why that one doesn't come yeah. up and, and, and the Ellis one comes up instead. So that, that makes sense. Exactly, but but nevertheless, yes, so impressive. So, sorry, Red. Yes. Sorry, Red. Yeah. I would never I would never take that accomplishment. Sorry. So. No, 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 no. Yeah, I, I that just <laughs> occurred to me as, as we were talking. So there. Yes. So. Yeah, you know, some of the other guys uh, who you know were able to break through in this season, um, as we talked about, it was a lot of a uh, w- wider range of players than usual to uh, do so. Carl uh, Malone had the uh, first two of his career. In fact, his second one was uh, sixty-one points, eighteen rebounds, and a um, a eighty-four true shooting percentage and a sixty-point-two game score, which is the third highest game score in recorded NBA history, and and his career high in points. So, good game for Carl. Absolutely, yeah, it's a great one. Yes, uh, Terry Cummings also had uh, had one in his first season with the Spurs, after of course starring with the Bucks early on in his career. And then uh, Tom Chambers has two within a month. In fact, his first one was the first in in Suns history, which was. 22 years after their first season, which is uh, which is kind of remarkable there. Yeah, I'm, I was surprised by that as well, that you would think the Suns would would you know find their way. And, and it's not like they were a bad team either, and they had some pretty good players along the way, but yeah, to never have a 50-point game you know, until Tom Chambers does it in 1990 was uh, kind of surprising to me. But yeah, as you said, you know, uh, February 18th, he has 56, uh, and then comes back you know, uh, you know, know, a month or so later, uh, March 24th, with 60 there, so two for Tom Chambers in this year. But uh, yeah, I was, I was always a fan of Tom Chambers. I always like it. He was, he was great in video games too, because he would, like, I forget, there's a game, I forget which one it is. I want to say it's... I want to say it's Jordan Bird or it's one of the it's one of those like titles that and and basically Tom Chambers can just dunk from anywhere because like Larry Bird's good at three so he can shoot a three from anywhere and like Michael Jordan's good at like a bunch of stuff but Tom Chambers you just hit like the shoot button he just dunks and it's it's pretty awesome it's just you know not not unlike Tom Chambers though that's kind of what he was he was pretty good at but uh, yeah if you do want to have some fun as well look up Tom Chambers highlight videos I think you people kind of forget how much of a like a ferocious in game dunker he was too it's pretty awesome. Yeah, he was a great dunker. He was a great shooter. He was—he really had a lot of talent. He was always kind of one of those guys who um, was thought of to to maybe he could have done more, and for whatever reason didn't put it together. Even though he was a really good player. In fact, he's one of only two eligible players, uh, along with Antoine Jameson, with uh, twenty thousand or more career points not elected to the Basketball Hall of Fame. Uh, Joe Johnson is might be on this list. His career is over, but he's not yet eligible for the Hall of Fame. And then if Jamal Crawford. Um, Scores five hundred six more, five hundred eighty six more career, career points. He would also possibly join them as well. So that's an interesting uh, list uh, there. Uh, and he's kind of a guy. Uh, I don't know if we've talked about him on the, you know, the different Hall of Fame shows we've done in terms of guys that we've talked about. Oh, maybe they should be in. But yeah, he definitely like feels like a guy who you could maybe make a case for. Yeah, he does. And and the thing with, with with Chambers, you know, I was kind of looking at this as we were doing our research here is is unfortunately with his like peers, he doesn't necessarily stand out all that much. Like he didn't lead the league. Uh, I don't think at anything uh, he didn't, you know, wasn't like a, a, the, the most the, the best score in the league at any point, the best rebounder in the league, the best, you know, he never does anything that kind of stands head and shoulders above guys. So I think that might be a part of it. But, you know, with it being the basketball Hall of Fame and, and, and you know, their eligibility, which is, is sometimes a little loose, uh, I you know, I, I could I could. 
I could buy a, a Tom Chambers, you know, Hall of Fame bid here. I it doesn't jump yeah. off the page to me. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue it to the death. But if you wanted to say, hey, here's the reasons why, I I, I could buy it, especially with it being the basketball Hall of Fame, which I'm I'm a big Hall uh, guy in terms of the basketball Hall of Fame. But yeah, it's it, yeah. I think a problem is in the area he plays, he's kind of overshadowed by a lot of other guys that that really stood out. And like you said, there's always that sort of like, geez, man, this guy could have been a lot more than he was. And I think that always kind of leads to a little bit of narrative yeah. around him too. But but I, I could definitely see the case for Tom. Yeah, fair or unfair, that's sort of the... Yeah, and the numbers, 18.1 points per game, 6.1 rebounds per game, uh, you four-time All-Star, two-time second-team All-NBA, so, you know, like, again, good, but not necessarily a slam dunk. Um, yeah, a little background on him. He started his career in 1982 with the San Diego Clippers, but was traded to the Sonics after two seasons, along with Al Wood, who was also involved in Dale Ellis trade. So, there we go, a lot of Al Wood uh, discussion on this got, show. I got a lot thought. of Al Wood show, yeah. <laughs> who would have thought? <laughs> yeah. It's all about the Outwood. Uh, for James Donaldson, two other players and a first-round pick that later became Michael Cage, apparently the Clippers felt that Chambers could not coexist with Terry Cummings, even though the, the <laughs> Clippers would later trade uh, Cummings to Milwaukee just a year later. Uh, so Clippers not always making good decisions. Yeah, but shockingly, Clippers not competent uh, at this I know, point it, or for the next least. two decades. But right. <laughs> all, they're pretty yeah. good now. Hey, they are thanks, Jerry. Good now, yeah. Yeah, thanks, Jerry. Jerry West, West but... yeah. Um, yes. Uh, so and then if he helped the Sonics rebuild after the remnants of the title team finally uh, dispersed in the mid eighties and really emerged as a scoring scar in 1987. He had 23 points per game. The Sonics made the Western Conference Finals that year. He also won the All Star MVP that year. And in fact, um, uh, Chambers, along with Ellis and Xavier McDaniel, became the first trio in NBA history to each average more than 23 points per game in a season. So fun fact there. Absolutely, yeah, that's it's good stuff here, and yeah, I, I like that. I like his early Clippers run. So I think a lot of people, pro- or the, the early uh, Sonics run, I did not like the Clippers run. Nobody liked the Clippers run, uh, but you know, because I think in my head, I always think of Chambers immediately, and, and I don't know if you're the same way. I always think of him as Suns right away, but his, his Sonic right. stuff is really where he kind of built his career, where he sort of came on the, on the rise, and and he helped that team, as you said, in a lot of ways. Part of the building block that ended up getting them back on track, you know, after that title team, and ended up, you know, kind of leading them to, to to what we would see in the '90s, where the Sonics were uh, a, a contender and were, you know, a power there out there in the West. So I always liked that his career had those two different parts there, where you have the Sonics part, and then you have the the Suns part. Obviously, there were a few other stops along the way uh, at the end of his career, but those are kind of the two. But I think everybody sort of leads to the Suns one right away. But yeah, he had a pretty awesome career in in, in Seattle as well. Right. Yeah. And he actually played slightly more games for the Sonics than the Suns in his career. Although I, I agree with you. I think of him first as a son. I guess it's kind of when I really started to more heavily um, be an NBA fan. And that's probably, you know, the NBA was slightly more popular during the time he was with the Suns than he was with the um, the Sonics. So I, that may play into that a little bit, too. But uh, there's a really uh, kind of an eye popping 1987 uh, SI profile by Jack McCallum. Uh uh, so, some fun quotes here. Uh, his former teammate, Gerald Henderson, once called Chambers the most selfish guy I ever played with. Uh, it sort of details some issues that Chambers had with Henderson and Ricky Sobers when they were the Sonics guard and feeling like he was frozen out of the offense. Uh, Chambers has a fun, a couple interesting quotes. Uh, I've always been the talented kid who doesn't have to work hard. I was the one who never quite lived up to the expectations that were put on me because I didn't work hard enough. And then another one, he said, I guess I'm not real happy. It's got a lot to do with the criticism. I have to put on this crust. I have to be the hard guy. It's the only way I know to protect myself. I strike first. They don't hurt me. So definitely talked a lot about how about, you know, he was just kind of a guy who 
not like a bad guy necessarily, but just a, a, a challenging guy. You know, you, you get some Rick Barry reminders there about the guy who kind of says the wrong thing or, you know, maybe Snuff doesn't mean it, but just sometimes and is a little bit of a hard guy to um, be around and play with sometimes. Although, you know, it wasn't like he was universally hated or anything, but he was just sort of like, you know, eh, you know, Tom kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's always that thing, too. And I, I always, you know, think about this with, with, with players and how certain players respond to criticism and how certain players respond to sort of expectations. Some people like take that as a challenge. Oh, you don't think I'm good enough or you think I'm not, you know, maximizing my effort. Well, then I'm going to show you and I'm going to do that. But some people kind of internalize that, too. And Chambers uh, appears to be kind of that th- that guy that was like, well, you know, everybody wanted me to be this and think I should be this and I'm that, and you know, yada, yada, yada. And, and that sort of, yeah, that, that maybe plays a part in it, too. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of complexity with these uh, athletes. You know, a lot of times we just think it's like, ah, he doesn't try hard enough because he doesn't care. And it's like, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe he cares or maybe there's just some weird, you know, there, there's reasons why he doesn't do that. But some guys don't respond to that nearly as well. And, and Chambers may have been one of those guys that, uh, you know, was fine kind of doing what he did, but maybe wasn't really keen or, or, or really wasn't, you know, uh, able to sort of live up to the expectations that people maybe fairly or unfairly put upon him. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, what, what's interesting is, um, you know, this year, um, something that right after this year, he would, of course, uh, or I'm sorry, he'd already done that. I, w- I was thinking of the the, you know, the profile right after that. He would, as we talked about, make history by becoming the first unrestricted free agent in signing with the uh, Phoenix Suns and was part of some tough Suns teams with Kevin Johnson, Jeff Hornacek, who, um, in fact, they upset the uh, champion uh, Lakers in the 1990 playoffs. And, and I, I kind of forgot this, but he actually stuck around as a sixth man in the 93 team, of course, when Charles Barkley came there and led them to the uh, finals. So I'd, uh, I'd forgotten he was with the team that long, but even kind of Carvinich there and then ended up playing a couple years with the Jazz in his home state and spent one year in Israel before ending his career with brief stints with the Hornets and one game with ending his career with the uh, 76ers. Yes, so. nobody remembers those, but <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, we always, yeah. And I think that, that Bark- the, the 93 run does sort of help the reason why I kind of think of him as a son right away, because because I do remember watching those games pretty intently as, as as a kid, and and he was still pretty good. You know, he would come off the bench and and, and be this kind of instant offense guy. Uh, the Suns had him, and that is a remarkably talented that '93 Suns team. If you go back and look at the depth of that roster and the guys they had, it's like man, if Jordan didn't exist, that team, man, they 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 easily could have won a title. But it's just yeah, of course Jordan existed, so sure. uh, it didn't quite yeah. happen. But yeah, one that like probably doesn't get its credit nearly as much as they should because that is an, an awesome team. Yeah. And uh, and I bet now you might be wondering, well, OK, it took the Suns uh, 22 seasons to have their first 50 point game. What is the longest uh, amount of time between a franchise's debut and its first 50 point game? Ooh, Rich, I'm interested. Are you going to do it? Come on. Give me. I'm going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you it yes. is uh, it is the Hornets uh, who in their I guess the, the Hornets Bobcats. So the, the Charlotte franchise, not the New Orleans franchise, which, by the way, is, is, is not confusing at all. Um so it took 26 seasons for Kemba Walker to become the first in franchise history to have 50. We're skipping a year because of the gap between the the old Hornets and the Bobcat Hornets. Um, so so yes. So uh, and the Grizzlies have not done so thus far. They are they are 24 seasons in, so they have a chance to break that record. And the Suns are tied with the Timberwolves uh, for 22nd overall. Kevin Love was the one who. Um, managed to uh, break that record a few of the notable ones the dallas mavericks took 15 years the new york knicks took 13 years uh the royals kings franchise took 11 
the uh, the Nationals and 76ers franchise and also the Pistons. Those two franchises took, each took 10. So, uh, And then a few who did it very quickly, the Cavs, Nuggets, Lakers, and Pelicans all did so in their first season. So, And I guess the Pelicans at the time were the Hornets. Which yes, again, yes, not confusing. So, not confusing whatsoever. Definitely no. makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, that's... Um, the Hornets one, that's pretty that's pretty bad, man. <laughs> you know, with given now that franchise. Yeah. The uh well, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, yeah I, I guess. I mean, you would think that maybe, you know, one of the other I ah, yeah, whatever. That's it, it is what it is. And then the uh, yeah. I think the Grizzlies never having one, I find I guess kind of interesting, but but you know, uh, especially I mean the last decade they've been basically the grit and grind, you know, Grizzlies, so maybe I'm not super surprised, but I would you know, I thought like Sharif Abdul Rahim would have like lucked himself into one, you know, in like two thousand one, but yeah, it never quite yeah. happened. And then I guess he, he got yeah. one with the Hawks, but not not with the uh but but yes, not with the Grizzlies. Oh, so. that's right, he was gone by that point. Yeah. So I guess they didn't really yeah, have a whole lot right. of time to establish that. Uh yeah, and then I'm trying to think, like they really have never like I'm thinking, you know, Grizzlies and and who were like the Oh my god, that guy's like an awesome scorer on the Grizzlies. Like then they kind of went to the Gasol, and then they went to like the Conley Gasol, and then the, the Zach Randolph. So it's like it's surprising on its face that they've never had one. But then I'm also like, yeah, who would other than like Abdul Rahim, like early, early in his career, like maybe Mike Bibby explodes for some random game? Like I, it, I guess it's not super, super surprising that they never had one because yeah, who's like kind of the prolific scorer that the Grizzlies have? Or had yeah, I, I don't know Rudy say. Rudy Gay. You know, uh, that, yeah, I, mean, I guess Rudy could have lucked himself into you know hit enough long twos to eventually get to fifty. Right. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> obviously, Powell he was never really a huge scorer, but I mean, was obviously a franchise player, and you think yeah, at some point he could have had one, um, and maybe Conley looking one. Yeah, but they were for the most part, you know, in the especially in the past ten or so years, they've been much more of a balanced franchise. You know, not really like letting one guy carry the load. So yeah, it kind of makes sense in a way, and they've never really had. Yeah, other than a guy who could kind of like into one once in a while, they never really had that like guy who, you know, certainly not like right. a go-to guy who you're expecting it from, you know, any night, you know, a James Harden type thing. Obviously, those guys are pretty rare. No, absolutely. So, yeah. That, so, sorry, Grizzlies. Maybe maybe soon. Maybe John Morant, if you draft him number two, he'll, uh, he'll yeah, get you 50. Go. So, there you go. Or, or Jaron Jackson Jr. will explode for 50 at some point. So, things are looking up, Memphis. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we're, we're, we're happy for you, Memphis. Um so, yes, so also joining the first-timers club, we, we have, I, I think I failed to mention that we have eight in the first-timers club um, this year, which I, I think we'll, we'll check that one again and whether that's the highest amount. Uh, Patrick Ewing, Akeem Olajuwon, and Terry Cummings. Um, so uh, just some very brief notes about, about Cummings since we're going a little long here, but uh, he was a two-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA uh, finished fifth in the 1985 MVP voting, began his career with the Clippers, where he won Rookie of the Year, of course, tying in with Tom Chambers. He had 23.7 points per game and 10.6 rebounds per game, which were both are his career highs. Then traded to the Bucks after the 84 season in a big trade involving Marcus Johnson that kept the Bucks a powerhouse for the rest of the 80s and kept the Clippers, unfortunately, in bad shape. Part of that because of Marcus's injury. Um but also not some good because they're the Clippers. There. Yeah, because they're the Clippers right. is probably why. Yeah. more than anything. Yeah. Yes. Uh, also went to the Spurs in 1990, where he played six seasons. Then returned to the Bucks in '96, and then had stints with the Sonics, Sixers, Knicks, and Warriors. In fact, he was actually involved in the Latrell Spearwell trade that sent uh, Latrell to the Knicks before his career ended at age 31. And notably, Care- Cummings released an album in uh, early 2007 in which he wrote, sang, and played keyboards. So there we we'll go. Have to, so we'll have to that. after we after we uh, get the uh, Shaggy and uh, Sting uh, album, we'll have to check that one out. Yes, now. yeah, we talked about it prior to the show. We got, we actually have a few album reviews because I have uh, I have a bit of an album that I think we need to touch on uh, in my Ooh. Cedric Sabalas <laughs> profile coming oh, up in a little bit. So huge, get huge, ready, wow. yeah. So so we're gonna we're actually gonna transition into more of a music.
music podcast from here on out. So nice. Uh, there you go. Because Way in Tinsdale has a jazz album, right? So we got we, there's yeah. a, there's a lot here. Yeah. We got Kobe Bryant's terrible rap album. Uh, we got yeah. Jules, little Allen Iverson. So yeah, I think we we get, we have a whole whole series if we want on like miserable Shaq. Of course, Shaq. Uh, uh, whatever the hell the Shaq Diesel uh, album, which is actually not bad. <laughs> that one's actually not go. too bad. But I've heard this one oh. I'm going to talk about later is, is not bad too. So maybe maybe well, at Rich, some point. Rich, there may be one problem is that I do not listen to any music by anyone who is older than college. So you know I don't know how much I can actually contribute Oof, to this. But yeah, yeah, that might be tough. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. So. <laughs> Absolutely. A lot, a lot of boy bands in my selection is you know is all I'm saying. So. Um, Yes, so I wanted to add here before we move on to 1991 that the longest gaps between 50-plus point games uh, per franchise, uh, the Cavs have a 35-year gap, Oof. the Bucks 33 years, the Clippers 28 years, the Lakers 21 years, uh, the Jazz, Nets, and Rockets all with 20 years, and the Pistons and Kings with 19 years. So, yeah, do, you you know, do you know any of those that are... Uh... Do you have, do you know active ones for, for those or uh, I'm just trying to figure who can who can break that right now but uh, oh who is the, well obviously the Hornets have the longest active with 26 uh, seasons um, I I believe I have notes for that somewhere no don't worry um, about it don't, I just thought uh, yeah. if you had it over the top of your head because yeah, I'm trying to think in my head at first I'm like Cavs wow and I'm like wait no they, they've definitely broken that but uh, still kind of right. funny that it took 35 years for um, which I'm assuming is 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 uh, LeBron to come in and and do that but. Uh, yeah, it's kind yeah, of interesting the, there of, of who the the more recent ones would be. Right, I, the the Hornets are definitely up there. The yes. Hawks, I don't, I think they uh, theirs goes back to two thousand and two, um, so that's obviously seventeen, eighteen years now. Um, I, I'd have to, I, I have some notes on that, but I think they're going to be a future episode, so we'll look forward to that. Yeah, one. Yeah, oh, good, good. Then we'll wait till that. That's a teaser for the future. There, there you go. Perfect. There you go. Yes. So, um, yes. So. We've, uh, we've we've dove in, but I, I do think we want to make note of um, Patrick Ewing and Chom- Chambers actually had uh, uh, they they had uh, fifty point games on the uh, same day. Uh, Jam- uh, Chambers had sixty, in fact, on that day. It was March twenty fourth, nineteen ninety. Ewing had fifty one and eighteen. Michael Jordan had his career high in both points and rebounds uh, with uh, sixty nine points, uh, eighteen rebounds, uh, six assists, and four steals. This is the only 69-point pro basketball game ever. Uh, it is the highest recorded game score in NBA history at um, 64.6. Uh, and then, uh, and of course, it came against the Cavs. Of course. So, <laughs> yes. Naturally, yeah. And it was the fourth 60-plus point game of his career. Yeah, wow. <laughs> which, which, is, which is not bad. So, yes. Um, obviously he, I believe he's second all time to Wilt Chamberlain. I think I have, I, I, I have those at some point, which maybe we will get into when we, at the end of this episode, when we kind of tally up some of the Michael Jordan. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, worth noting, Akeem Olajuwon had a 52 and 18 game, uh, here as well. And Ewing had another 15, 15 game. So he was definitely getting some, uh, rebounds as he was, uh, or I'm sorry, well, I'm diving into the next season where Ewing has that game. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll go to that one in just a minute. So 1991. Yeah, so this uh, this is an interesting year here because we have six uh, 50-point games. We have two by Bernard King. Hello, Bernard King. Where have you been? <laughs> it's been six years uh, after his last one. I think uh, pretty remarkable, too, to have him come back. And it's obviously, you know, some famous games as well because it is after so many, you know, trials and tribulations for Bernard to have him come back and, and, and score 50 is, is pretty remarkable. Uh, 91 is also interesting, too, because it's the first time without uh, Michael Jordan since 1985. So we talked about as the Bulls kind of, 
improved team wise and you know phil jackson comes in and they kind of slow things down and and play a little bit more of a a team basketball jordan takes a back seat obviously the winning and the championship makes you know definitely makes up for that but then we do lose kind of the prolific amazing you know eye-popping jordan scoring totals but i think he'd he'd definitely take the trade that he got instead i wrestled some some new guys to the club as well charles smith which we talked about in our unlikely uh 60 or 50 point scorers episode uh charles smith comes up here this the uh of course the first for the clippers in la uh as well so the clippers get at least some luck here. Uh, Michael Adams, a guy we talked about uh, in prior episodes as well, uh, has a 50-point game. And then uh, Vernon Maxwell. You want to tell me a little bit about Mad Max here for Vernon Maxwell, I, who also joins the club? I do. Yes. Well, I, the first thing is there's a subsection in his Wikipedia bio, bio called Behavioral Instance, which is not a good <laughs> Never. No, that's that's not great. When you get a pullout of like you know crimes or behavioral incidents, yeah, not, not ideal for uh, old Vern. Yes. Uh, briefly played for the Spurs and then traded to the Rockets in 1990, where, of course, he, he gained his greatest fame. Uh, he actually led the league in three-pointers in 91 and 92. In fact, set an NBA record at the time with 172 in 1991. Been broken a few times since then. Yeah, by, like, <laughs> individual. Like, yeah. I, yeah, I love that. Right. 172 is in 1991. Yes. And, like, that's, like, a yeah. month <laughs> for Steph Curry now. You know what I mean? Pretty much. Yeah. Like a bad, like a down month, too. Like, ah, oh, man. Like, yes. He had uh, 51 points on January 26, 1991. He is among only nine players in NBA history to score 30 or more in a quarter. The others are Clay Thompson, Kevin Love, George Gervin, Carmelo Anthony, David Thompson, Will Chamberlain, Michael Jordan, and Kobe Bryant, who has done it twice. So, and um, was part of the 1994 Rockets championship team. Things went sour between Maxwell and the yeah. Rockets in 1995. <laughs> yes, they did. Yes. Yeah. There's uh, there's some video of a game in Portland on February 6th where he ran into the stands, uh, punched a fan due to the fan heckling him. He was suspended for 10 games, fined $20,000. Uh, after that, he um, was given a leave of absence after the first game of the playoffs. He later admitted that he was frustrated with not playing and was feigning a hamstring in, uh, injury. He... Um, uh, perhaps he was upset that the team had acquired uh, Clyde Drexler, who, of course, was playing ahead of him. Uh, then he, the Rockets uh, ended up waiving him, and then he was subsequently charged with possession of legal substance and was target of a paternity suit. Uh, but then next he went to uh, Philadelphia. There's a New York Times article from uh, September of 95, which is uh, which is kind of interesting. Um Maxwell said he didn't really know anyone in Philadelphia, didn't know where to hang out. And then this is a shocking statement from Maxwell, whose downfall began when he became as well-known for late-night socializing as for his tenacious uh, style of play. And then, uh, anyway, he went to the Spurs, uh, back to the Spurs in 97, where he helped the team earn Tim Duncan. Uh, Then he split between the Hornets and the Magic in 98, and then had since with the Kings, the Sonics, the Sixers again, and the Mavs to end his career in 2001. While he was in Seattle in 2000, he and uh, Gary Payton had a locker room brawl that left two of their teammates uh, hurt. Yeah, that seems um, like a bad combo, Gary Payton, (laughs) Vernon Maxwell in the same locker room. Seems like, to me, a bad idea, but uh, and and it, it seemed to play out that way for sure. Yes. Also worth noting that he shot a lot of threes, but was not particularly uh, uh, shot, shot them well. He, he uh, His career three-point percentage was a 320, and um, he did not shoot above 40% uh, overall after the 1993 season. So definitely uh, not afraid to let it fly, but may not have always made the good decisions when it comes to shooting and, and other things. Yeah. You, you also, there was a quote uh, from the New York Times piece about uh, him, you know, sort of starting out in Philly and, and, and not socializing. And I love this quote here. It says, uh, uh, quote, Philly was one of the few places I never hung out in. It was always too cold. <laughs> like, <laughs> is Philadelphia known for its like 
like I mean, you yeah, New York. I mean, like I mean, New York, right. Chicago. You know, anywhere. Yes. <laughs> like, it, it, it's yeah. I mean, it's obviously a cold city, but yes, of, of all the cities to <laughs> I don't know why Philly out. in particular. Well, it's really cold well, in Philly. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, uh, Never knew it had yeah. that rep as being like you know it's like Fargo, North Dakota to for the Maxwell. So. I guess yeah. Well, there you go. Um, a few other notes. Um, Patrick Ewing and Charles Smith both had their fifty point games on the same day. That Ewing did that for both of his fifty plus point games in his career. Uh, Bernard King joined the list of players with fifty plus on three different teams. Uh, we we mentioned that Moses Malone did it, but also Rick Barry had done it uh, previously, and Will Chamberlain did it previously. So it is a bit of a, a bigger list than we uh, initially said. And then um, Bernard, at the time when if, if his last fifty point game, uh, of course he had two this season. The uh, the second one, he was the second oldest uh, in history to score fifty. And then Michael Adams became the ninetieth player to uh, cross fifty. And the 1991 Nuggets had the fastest pace in NBA history at 113.7, which is, of course, only tracked post-1974, so that certainly helped him out. Uh, 54 points, uh, 5 rebounds, uh, 9 assists, and um, and 3 steals in that game. So, good That's a fun there. team. Yeah, fun team to watch, too, if you ever uh, get your chance to watch yeah. one of those Nuggets games. I mean, it's not always it's not winning basketball all the time, but it's, it's fun. No, <laughs> it's, it, it, yeah, it was definitely not winning basketball because they, they, <laughs> they, they went 21 sets, games, right? Like, yeah, they they were pretty bad. Uh, yeah, they were terrible defensively. They, they they were better that second season. I think I think ninety was the year they were terrible. Ninety one, they may have been better. I might be mixing that up a little bit, but they weren't quite as bad that season. But, yeah, like um, they're the team that like people wrongly were like, oh, these Phoenix Suns, like the Dantoni Phoenix Suns, like there is no D, right. like they don't play D, and it's like no, actually, you know, compared to pace, they they do play pretty good defense. This team did right. not. This team was like no. score because we're gonna score right back. Like it's all, yep. you know, let's do that. But they weren't shooting, which is a weird strategy when you're not shooting threes. You're just like because they didn't. You would think that. Too, when you look at that team, you're like, oh, dude, they're probably shooting tons of threes. No, if they were shooting a bunch of long twos and a bunch of lit, they just wanted to go, man. They didn't really feel like wasting even an, an, an ounce of effort on defense, but man, they were going to try to score on you. It's, it's a very fun to watch those that, that team play. Absolutely. So, um, 1992, it is another, uh, we're back to Dominique and Michael Jordan. We only have four in, um, in this season. Um, Three by Jordan, one by Dominique. Dominique's is the final of his career. He had eight total in his uh, career. And Jordan had a, uh, a 56-point uh, game with uh, five rebounds, five assists, and four steals. The, 25, the 25th in uh, playoff history uh, at, at that point. So and he had like uh, almost a third of them. So uh, pretty <laughs> imp- impressive uh, there from Jordan. Yeah, absolutely. And then... Uh, Looking at '93, we uh, have uh, we have six by Jordan that year, so he's definitely uh, picking up the pace again in these 50 plus point games. Uh, and we have three players who are new to the club. Uh, we have Nick Anderson, who we talked about in our uh, some of our most unlikely uh, players. We have um, Reggie Miller, who had the only 50 plus point game in his career in um, in November of '92, 57 points, uh, f- uh, five uh, rebounds, and eight assists. A lot of assists by Reggie, and. Um, and then um, David Robinson had his first of his career mm-hmm. in uh, and uh, set the – in fact, he had 52 points, uh, 14 rebounds, and seven blocks, which sets a record for most blocks in uh, one of these games, at least 
in recorded history. Of course, Black's not tracked until the 74 season. Yeah, and then Nick Anderson won too. You're probably thinking unlikely. Nick Anderson, he was a good scorer, but he came off the bench in this game too. So he played, he still That's played right. 33 minutes, uh, but it was off the bench. And it was actually an uncharacteristically bad game for uh, other Magic as well. Like Shaquille O'Neal only had 10 points. Scott Skiles was the second best scorer at 19. So I definitely needed Nick to come off the bench and, and, and give him some instant scoring. And he did, you know, getting the 50 and uh, and being perfect from the free throw line too, which, uh, you know, would obviously haunt him later in his career. But uh, yeah, that, that's an interesting one. If you're probably thinking, oh, Nick Anderson, he's not that unlikely. If you go back and listen to the episode, the, the more unlikely part is coming off the bench and scoring 50 points. But but even then, like Nick Anderson's not a guy who had, you know, giant explosions in, in terms of scoring either. But uh, yeah, that's why he, he he's is on this list. But yeah, one of the, uh, the, the I think the, what, the only 50 point came off the bench. From, am I correct in that? Uh, wasn't Tracy Murray's off the bench? Oh, Tracy Murray's one. I think you're right. I think you're right about Tracy Murray too. But yeah, it's very, very yeah. rare to come off the bench and and, and do that. Well, and he, I forget the Anderson thing. I think he like pulled a hamstring and then he was like, I'm fine. And like, oh, okay, cool. Get out there and just play because yeah. we need you. So that's. I I think we may have some recent ones that came off the bench. Well, that's another question we'll have to sure. uh, we'll, we'll we'll have to answer as we go through. I'm guessing one of Jamal Crawford's may have been off the bench as well. But um, anyway, a, a few uh, a few Jordan highlights here because he's got some notable ones uh, this season. Uh, December of 92, he had 57 and uh, 10 assists. Again, a very rare instance of 10 assists in a 50-plus point game during this time. Basically, from 76 to 2008, there were only three times it happened. Um, And uh, in uh, January of 93, the same day that David Robinson uh, had his, the um, Jordan had uh, 64, um, as along with uh, six rebounds and five steals. This was uh, his... 30th 50 plus point game of his career and fifth and final 60 plus point game of his uh, career so and uh, then uh in um on uh may 31st 93 and june 16th of 93 he had two playoff uh 50 plus point games uh making 27 total in history and this was the fifth ever the second one was the fifth ever in the nba finals yeah, that's uh, it's the getting a finals fifty. That, that's that's something you can really hang your head. <laughs> no, you know what I mean. Like in the biggest yeah. moments to do it, uh, pretty awesome. And yeah, the fact that we haven't seen that many of them, um, I guess that's probably about the number I would assume uh, that we'd have for those. But still, pretty pretty fun uh, little stat there to have you know fifty in a in a finals game. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, so looking at the uh, ninety four uh, season, uh, David Robinson has a couple uh, more, including a. 71 point effort that we'll get into in a moment uh new to the club we have uh shaquille o'neal who has the first uh, 50 of his career obviously if it's the first time uh he had 53 points 18 rebounds um and only had three total in his career which uh i don't know if we will we'll, we'll table this one until later on in his career to kind of discuss how it seems you know odd that a guy who's known for being so dominant only had three of these in his career of course he was dominant in other ways as well but just sort of interesting there um and then charles barkley had the first of his career we talked about this one earlier where he never had one in the regular season but had one in the playoffs Mm -hmm. the 28th in playoff history um and how unusual that one was and then david robinson 71 points um pretty remarkable uh becomes the um oldest player with 70 of course he's only 28 years old so not really that old the fourth player to score 70 in a game along with uh, Will Chamberlain and um, David Thompson and Elgin Baylor and also did this to um, beat out Shaquille O'Neal for the uh, scoring title. In fact, during the game, uh, Robinson Spurs teammates began fouling Clippers players to get back on offense, even though the Clippers were winning in a blowout. So that sort of a. Uh, some people crowd foul on that one, including uh, including Shaq himself. Yeah, which I get, but I, I'm I'm. 
I kind of love unabashed, like, <laughs> you know, a total team effort to try to get a guy. We talked about, you know, the Thompson, uh, 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 you know, 70 pointer you know, a few uh, episodes ago. I, I like that, too. So I'm, I'm all in favor of just like unabashed, like, you know, throwing away whatever the hell the team basketball is and wins and losses or whatever, just to get a player a bunch of points uh, in the final game of the season. For whatever reason, I, I enjoy that. I probably shouldn't enjoy it, but I do enjoy it. So fine by me. I don't care. <laughs> all right. Fair enough, Rich. Um so I, I know that you have a few uh, interesting little numbers to uh, share with our listeners. Yeah, so here we've been doing these kind of averages here. So of this era, so the time we're talking about here, 1987 to 1998, average field goal attempts in 50-point games, 31, to kind of compare that to uh, all-time numbers. Uh, all-time numbers is 34.7, so a little bit of a reduction there. Uh, likely it was a result of the three-point line, but we're going to get to that here in a little bit. Uh, average free-throw attempts for 50-point games in this era, 15. That is exactly in line with the average free-throw attempts uh, all-time. and has been pretty remarkable across the board. I mean, 15 has been kind of the general range. It's been like 14.5 to like 15.2. So if you want to score 50, try to get to the line 15 times and make 15 free throws. It seems to be a good little number there. Uh, then the average three-point attempts in this era, too, is the one we're going to add now that we're, you know, in, in the in the time period where people are actually taking threes. Like, you know, they, they know the line is there and they're actually using the line. Uh, 2.9 uh, in this era, average threes in a uh, 50-point game. Uh, it's obviously way overshadowed by the all-time number, which has risen up, you know, quite a bit in the last uh, uh, few years there. But uh, Six point seven six is the all-time number there, but uh, still, you know, just under three for uh, three-point attempts uh, of this era. You know, for uh, uh, um, the three-point attempts, yeah, from nineteen eighty-seven to nineteen ninety-eight. So just a little, a little, little aside there uh, on the averages. But uh, let's get to nineteen ninety-six here or ninety-five here, I should say. Yes, uh, so that ninety-five, it is the first season without a player with multiple fifty-point games since nineteen eighty-three. Jordan only has one. Uh, everyone else who has it is new to the club. Uh, we have uh, Jamal Mashburn, who becomes the first to do so in Mavs history in uh, November twelfth, nineteen ninety-four. Jim Jackson follows him with uh, fifty, just fourteen days later in um, November of. Um, 94, and you might be asking at this point, well, how frequently do we have teammates with 50-plus in the same season? And it it has happened uh, not super frequently, but it, it has happened uh, – well, I guess we'll just go through it. You can decide whether it's frequent or not. So um, we have uh, Elgin Baylor, Rudy Reluso, and Jerry West uh, in 62. Uh, Cliff Hagen and Bob Pettit uh, for the Hawks in 62. Will Chamberlain and Jerry West for the Lakers in 69. John Brisker and Stu Johnson for the Pittsburgh Condors in 71. Uh, Zemo Beatty and Willie Wise for the Utah Stars in 72, who did two days apart. Uh, Charlie Scott and Julius Irving for the Virginia Squires in 72. Although, by the time Irving actually had it, Scott had left the Squires for the NBA. So, I don't know if this one counts, but we'll... we'll, We're going to count. No, no, I'm counting. Yeah, let's count. All right, fair enough. Yeah, there it is. (laughs) All right, there it is. We're keeping it. Uh, George (laughs) George Gervin and Larry Kinnon of the uh, Spurs in 1980. Larry Bird and Kevin McHale in, uh, in 1985. They actually had it nine days apart. Uh, and now, of course, uh, Jamal and uh, Jim Jackson for the Mavericks, 14 days apart. Uh, Willie Burton and Dana Barris, we're both going to talk about here in 95, also did so for the uh, 76ers. Uh, Clay Thompson and Steph Curry in 2015 did it 12 days apart. C.G. McCollum and Damian Lillard for uh, the Trailblazers did it 10 days apart. And Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Kevin Durant all did it for the Warriors this season, 2019. And Curry and Thompson did so five days apart. Yeah, good stuff uh, on that thing. And I'm sure that helped Jamal Master and Jim Jackson uh, with an indelible bond that could not be broken by anything. And the Mavericks, of course, stayed together forever and ever uh, and led to many great playoffs. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Everybody fucking yeah. hated each other. <laughs> right. Away, but, uh, well, yeah, we, we're going to blame 
Yeah, we're gonna blame Jason Kidd. I mean, I'm sure Matt. I agree. I agree. Yeah, Jason Kidd is a turd. I'm gonna have to play it up. Right. I think I. I don't know if Jim's all the way. Not Jamal. I'm letting Jamal out of here. I feel like Jamal was just playing his game, man. But yeah, I don't know. There's a really great beef history on SB Nation does a video series called Beef History about this. They they squashed the Tony Braxton rumor, which is good, and more about just like a bunch of young dudes who all wanted the ball, just like all kind of getting annoyed at each other. So it's interesting in in a in a culture and in a franchise that didn't really had hadn't built the right culture either so uh, it's pretty fascinating right. but yeah it, it does squash the tony braxton room which is which is good all right there you go so if you're I, i'm breaking my illusions about what caused their uh, <laughs> i was trying to make a tony braxton reference it didn't work out very well so let's just move on uh we talked just about willie burton and dana barris in the unlikely episode uh, a couple of just things i want to note though uh willie burton was 24 of 28 from the free throw line which was the 14th time in recorded nba history that someone had that many free throw attempts or more in a game um, at that point. Uh, Dana Barros had the best recorded true shooting percentage in any 50-plus point game with 93.01, still the record. Uh, and he was the 100th player to cross the 50-point threshold. So, fun times. Absolutely. Uh, also, I, I added to this list was uh, would be also Glenn Rice, who had 56 mm-hmm. points and became the first player for the Heat to uh, break 50. So. All right, so let's get into Cedric Sabalas here because he also joins this uh, elusive club here in 1995. And he has a pretty fascinating career. I, I guess I didn't really quite realize how uh, how interesting it was. So he's drafted by a very good Phoenix Suns team when he comes in there. He's a role player uh, on their NBA Finals uh, team in 1993. Uh, he also won a dunk contest that year with his bullshit blindfold dunk where he was clearly not blindfolded. But we'll let it slide, whatever. Well, what, are your ta- what are your thoughts on the blindfold dunk? I think it's BS. Uh, you know, honestly, it's been a while since I've seen the it's BS, so Jason. I, I, I need to <laughs> just go Rich, with it. I, I, I'm willing to. I'm willing to go with you on that. It's BS, Rich. Because he does uh, like he does the fake like oh like I, if you're his first attempt is like nowhere near the rim. He's like oh I can't quite see it, and the next attempt's like perfect. It's like, Get out of here, you Cedric. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, you phony. <laughs> yeah, you jerk. Uh, in 1994, yeah. he's dealt from uh, Phoenix to LA for a 1995 first round pick, which ended up being Michael Finley. Uh, so pretty interesting there. I, I grabbed a uh, quote from the LA Times article uh, talking about the trade, and they said because the Suns are expected to contend for an NBA title, they welcome the opportunity to add what could be a high first-round pick within the next few seasons while also cutting the $9 million Sabalas has coming over the next four seasons, especially with a huge payout earmarked for Danny Manning next season. So um, I don't yeah. know if that quite worked out for the Suns, the title contention in 1994 and after, but uh, yeah, you got to pay Danny Manning, you got to pay Danny Manning, so I get it. But uh, uh, two good yeah. seasons with the Los Angeles Lakers, uh, including an all-star berth, but uh, eventually traded back to Phoenix in a deal involved Lakers playoff hero, eventual Lakers playoff hero, uh, Robert Ory, who uh, obviously was not doing well in Phoenix at that time and throwing towels at Danny Ainge. So he was your hero at the time, I'm sure. Yes. So, that's, so um, OK, so this is weird. Rich, this is weird because, you know, we, we all know about my feelings about Danny Ainge, but I also really don't enjoy Robert Ory. Yeah, I, I always the, I wonder. I hate both of them. So <laughs> I know I hate both yeah. of them. I don't know who to choose. Like, yeah, I just wish they'd both yeah. be sucked into a black hole. and I never have to hear from that. I, I'm going to pick player over management, but it's, it's a tough one for me. You know, I, I think what helps is that Ori has been kind of gone. Like by in like nights, like right when he hip checks, you know, Steve Nash into the, the scores table, right. I'm picking Ori, yeah. you know, right after he right. hits that st- another stupid game winner, I'm picking Robert Ori, but in 2019, right. because Ainge is still out and about and talking and, and, and almost making trades, but not quite making them. Um, right. yeah. I'm probably going to pick Danny Ainge. So I'm with you on that, but uh, yeah, it, 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 right. it could change by the year. Uh, depending on what Ori does. But anyway, uh, Sabalas had some issues while he was with the Lakers, including missing uh, flights. He disappeared from the team for a while. Uh, he was eventually spotted boating uh, during this time. He said it was uh, personal reasons why he was out. Uh, the Lakers did not really enjoy that. He returned to the team eventually, uh, but he was unanimously stripped
stripped of his team captain status by everybody else on the team. Uh, then Shaq comes to the Lakers in 96-97, and at that point, Sabalas is completely expendable, and thus the trade back to Phoenix. And then Sabalas bounced around the league and the world. Are you ready? 1998, he's with the Suns. 1998-2000, he's with the Mavericks. In the year 2000, he also plays for the Detroit Pistons. In 2001, he goes to Miami Heat. In 2002, he plays for the Las Vegas Slam. Las Vegas Slam 2002, also the Harlem Globetrotters. He goes to Tel Aviv in 2002 as well. He plays in Russia for Lokomotiv. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. Uh, 2003, Sioux Falls Skyforce. 2004, he's in the Philippine Basketball Association. 2005, he's with the Los Angeles Stars, I believe, of the CBA, I want to say at that point. Uh, 2005 to 2007, he's with the Orange County slash Maywood Buzz. 2007, he's with the Phoenix Flame. And then 2008 to 2001, he is again with the Maywood Buzz. So he played until 2011, and he was pretty much out of the NBA at 2001. That is a remarkable bouncing around for a guy that probably made a decent amount of money, but either he loved basketball or he loved traveling to random towns in the CBA or something. I don't or he or he just loved the Maywood Buzz, you know? Maybe he yeah, I think I think he was a partial owner, I want to say of the Maywood Buzz, which would make sense why ah, he would uh, go, go there as yeah. much as he did, but uh definitely interesting there. Uh some other fun facts about Cedric Sabalas, he has Mexican ancestry and he was invited to play for Team Mexico uh in the 1992 Summer Olympics. So that would have been pretty interesting there. Uh Sabalas worked on the album. Here's what I was talking about that I alluded to a little bit earlier. I uh, worked on the album called B-Ball's Best Kept Secret, a 1994 record featuring with an array of early 90s NBA players. Uh, Sabalas teams up with Warren G for Flow On and also uh, teams up with Dana Barros, fellow player Dana Barros, for Ya Don't Stop. Ya Don't Stop. So you want to hear the track list of this uh, B-Ball's Best Kept Secret, which you are absolutely having to listen to. Yes. I would absolutely love to, yes. All right, so you got, uh, I'm just going to go with the songs. There's some tracks in between here, but you got Check It with Dana Barros. You got Lost in the Sauce with Malik Seeley. You got Mike Check 1-2 with Shaquille O'Neal and <laughs> Ill I'll Scratch. Uh, Flow On, which I mentioned with Cedric Sabalas and Warren G. Uh, Anything Could Happen with Brian Shaw, which I got to imagine is the lamest song on the entire album, right? Like, Brian Shaw cannot be a good rapper at all. But no. uh, and, and the album track, Anything Could Happen, leads me to believe that that's probably uh, the case as well. You got Something to Groove to with Chris Mills, which I guess that's a, uh, a pretty close one. Uh, what the Kid Did, of course, did is spelled oh, with two Ds because yeah. it's with Jason Kidd yeah. and uh, Money one. B. Uh, Funk in the Trunk with J.R. Ryder. Uh, All Night Party with Dennis Scott, another contender for lamest song on the entire album. Uh, Living Legal and Large with Gary Payton, which has got to be a good one. And then, as I said, the uh, the final track of the album, Yeah, Don't Stop, with Dana Barrows and Cedric Sabalas. Jason, we have to review this album at some point. I am, I am, right, I just well, cannot wait. So I will try to get it. I don't know if it's on, on streaming services. I don't know where it is, but I need it and I have to have it. Um, two more fun someone facts here. It. Yeah, someone, someone's got it and they need to send it to us or, or, or rip it or, or something. I will pay for it. If I, you know, maybe I could I, I'll go to my local, no, nah, they probably don't have it, but uh, anyway, two more fun facts on Cedric Sabal is here. Uh, appeared right. along with Sean Marion in the 30th season of The Amazing Race. Are you an Amazing Race guy? Uh, I, more than any other reality show probably, but it did not, no, I, I don't really watch yeah, it. Yeah, I don't think but I've ever it watched sounds, it. But. it it's kind of like, I mean, it's a fun concept. I theoretically would watch it, but it's been on for 30 years and I haven't really watched it. So <laughs> right, right, right. Pr- like, probably not going to happen. Yeah. I always see like highlights and I'm like, oh, that looks interesting. And I'm like, I'm not going to watch that. Get yeah. out of here. Like, I don't <laughs> I time just, to watch that shit. Exactly the same way that I feel. <laughs> I'm about like, it, ooh, so. it's like Cedric Balls and Sean Mary getting in a cab and trying to traverse like, you know, yeah. uh, you know, Tel Aviv. And I'm like, I don't, I don't care. Like, All right. Uh, and then for... I don't know why. Some inexplicable reason. I don't know if this is true. Sabalas says it's true. I guess it is. Why would he lie about this? Uh, he says that when LeBron James signed with the Los Angeles Lakers this last offseason, he called Cedric Sabalas and asked for permission to wear number 23. 
in the purple and gold, which, uh, you know, nice on LeBron, I guess. But like, I would just assume that it's fine. You know what I mean? Like, right. I, you know, you probably, I mean, maybe a nice courtesy to call Cedric and, and ask, but you could probably just take it. It's not that big of a deal. So I, I probably not. No, <laughs> it's I, not in the I, rafters. I like at first I was like, did they retire Cedric the Paul's number? They didn't. Yeah. So he was just being, There's I guess no possible way. Yeah. yeah he just right. went to the Los Angeles Lakers, like Jersey page on basketball references. Like, ah, I'll, I'll just, just make sure. <laughs> so yeah, he's always trying to be nice. Just, I get it. Be yeah. nice. I was be nice. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so makes pretty some, cool. Um, I get it. Anyway, a little quick thing about this, too. 1995 is an interesting year because it was the shorter th- uh, three-point line. They experimented with the shorter three-point line. Uh, and the question is, does you know did that shorter three-point line help uh, with the explosion of uh, 50-point games in this year? Or jump, we should say, on 50-point games. And, and I would say it appears so in a way. So there's seven 50-point games in 1995. And the average threes made in those games were 3.8. So if we compare that to the prior five years. So these are averages made in 50-point games. We go all the way back to 1990, 0.9. So only 0.9 three-point attempt, uh, three-pointers made on 50-point games that year. 1991, it's 1.8. 1992, uh, 1.25. A little bit of a jump in 1993 at 3.1. And then 1994 only sees one three-pointer made in 50-point games. We jump all the way to 3.8 in this 1995 season. So definitely feels like it played a part. And and you know, looking a little bit into the future, just to kind of get an idea of, of how different and how unique uh, 1995 was. Uh, 1996, 2.2 is the average threes made per game on a 50-pointer. So again, 1995 does stand out there. Uh, 1997, 3. And then 1998, 2. So so it definitely was. And in really until the early 2000s when, when three-pointers started to get a little bit more into favor and the game started to speed up a little bit um, is the only time we really see it match this 1995 number. So I don't know directly if it does, but guys were definitely in, in 50 point games. They were utilizing the three pointer more than they had uh, in any of the years prior and what they would do, you know, in the, in, in the years uh, in, you know, coming up in the, in the future as well. So I, I think it definitely did help. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely makes sense, and a lot of these are driven by that. So that, it, of course, we we're, we're dealing with this small amount of data here, so sometimes it's hard to to know what the trends mean. But I, it is interesting to see at least you know it, it certainly helped for uh, this season, although not not quite as much in '96. The um, you know there there's two things that you would normally think would lead to um, more of these games would be uh, of course the shorter three point line and the uh, the fact that there was expansion this year with the Raptors and Grizzlies that being added to the league, but not, not only only five this season, uh, so a bit of a dip from before. Um, we do have uh, we do have one from Michael Jordan. Uh, we do um, who who continues on here. Uh, we uh, the with two new players to the club. We have Alonzo Mourning with his only fifty plus point game. And then, uh, and then Mamou Adurayouf, who was, of course, uh, best known, I think, um, unfortunately best known for being uh, the center of some controversy when he refused to stand for the national anthem. Just unfortunately that, um, you know, I, I think his stand was perfectly fine, but unfortunate that he, um, that it, it became something that defined him rather than his uh, great play, which was awesome. He was, he was totally, and, you know, he kind of, um, I think a few years ago when Phil Jackson was still president of the Knicks, he kind of made a offhanded comment about uh, you know, him being kind of comparable to, to Steph Curry, which people sort of thought was him undermining Steph Curry. But like, uh, you know, um, he was a really great player. I mean, he was really fun to watch and he, he was a really good shooter, a good ball handler, just a good guy to really uh, enjoy watching. And, you know, it was a, you know, had a short career, but was definitely a good contributor while he was around. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it is unfortunate that, yeah, that, that controversy kind of is the only thing people might know him from and, and not any of his play. Uh, but a little, little kind of fun facts about him. He was discovered by a middle school girls coach in uh, Gulford, uh, Mississippi during a lunch period on the playground. They saw him out there playing and they said, Hey, you're pretty good at this. Why don't you play basketball? So she could, 
convinced uh, his mother to allow him to play organized basketball on his first game. Despite not knowing the rules of the game, he scored 24 points. So uh, not bad at all. Um, and then this is a, a very, very fun fact also about dunk contests here. Uh, Nuggets president and general manager at the time, Bernie Bickerstaff, sent the NBA League officials a tape of Abdul uh, Roof showcasing his dunking ability in practice uh, so that the NBA uh, would invite him to the 1993 dunk contest. So Abdul Roof had never dunked in a game. So obviously you're not going to probably invite him to the game. Well, Bernie Bickerstaff said, no, this guy can dunk. He can do pretty well. Uh, so he was actually included in the 1993 NBA dunk contest. Unfortunately, he finished second to last, so maybe he probably should have stayed home. I think uh, I think he did beat out Elliot Perry, though, uh, which is a bad who, who was yeah. at the NBA draft yeah. lottery uh, just, just yesterday. Yeah. I, I look at the team and I'm like, is that Elliot Perry <laughs> hanging out in the draft? And, uh, he did not bring Lux to the Phoenix Suns, though, unfortunately. But, uh, or no, he was yeah. with the uh, Grizzlies, right? Isn't he? Uh, there, he did, yeah. So he brought Grizzlies, great yeah. luck. So Elliot Perry brought great luck. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry, Elliot Perry. But, yeah. Um, yeah. So some other stuff about Abdul Rauf. His free throw percentage of 95.6 in uh, 93-94 is the third highest uh, season percentage in NBA history, just behind Calvin Murphy, who had a uh, 95.8 in uh, 1981, and Jose Calderon, uh, who had 98.1 in 2009. Uh, and currently, uh, you could s- still watch Abdul Rauf play basketball because he plays in the Big Three with the three-headed monster. And Jason, I don't know if you watch any Big Three, but he's still like really good. Like he just knocks down shots, and he's got like a gray beard. He's obviously older than all these guys, but Duke can still shoot. I, I love watching any big three game with him because people leave him. They, they leave him behind the three-point line and he always makes it because he's just like a very, right. you know, he's still, I think he's like 38 or 39 or whatever. Keeps himself in incredible shape. Gray hair is just, you know, no matter what, he's still dropping threes left and right. So it's pretty fun to watch him still play uh, the big three. And it feels like a nice little redemption for him too because I, I think the circumstance of him no longer being in the league were always kind of fishy uh, a little bit as well. So I uh, kind of stunk, yeah, that his league or his, his career was as short as it was. But uh, at least it's, it feels like he's got a little bit of redemption here in the big three. So absolutely. So, um, Yes, the only other note uh, here is the Akeem Olajuwon's uh, 50-point game here in 96, 51 points, 14 rebounds. Uh, this was six years between the first and last 50-point games of his career. Oh, only two in his career, which may be a slight surprise, I guess, um, in, in terms of things, although he had such an all-around game. Um, going into 97, uh, kind of Jordan's last uh, big gasp in terms of uh, – 50-point games, in fact, the, the final three of his career here, uh, or I guess his Bulls career. He's going he's gonna to show up a little bit later, but we're not going to dive into that into our next episode. Uh, he has three during this season, um, and there are four total. The other one is by Allen Iverson, his first 50-plus point game. Um, and then uh, Jordan caps it off in uh, April of 97 with the uh, his 29th in playoff history with 55 points and uh, seven rebounds in a... Um, uh, that was against the uh, the Washington Bulls. It, that would have been the one of the final Washington yeah. Bulls games before the uh, became a wizard. So, so there you go. And next year we get we get a wizard here. Nineteen ninety eight, new to the club, Tracy Murray. Who we talked about in our very very unlikely fifty point scores here, uh, Tracy Murray. So go back to that episode if you want to learn all the fun facts. Uh, about Tracy Murray, but yeah, no Jordan uh, in his final Bulls season. He had a high of 49, so unfortunately, he does not appear here. But uh, yeah, only three in 1998, which I found pretty interesting. Uh, Tracy Murray, Shaquille O'Neal, and Carl Malone. So one of those things is not like the other. <laughs> it's yes, definitely Washington yes. Wizards star Tracy Murray. So. Yes, and, uh, and and Carl has 56 here, uh, nine rebounds and four blocks. Um, he, is, uh, he is 34 years old, almost 35. He becomes the oldest to score... 55 or more in his career until Kobe's 60 point game in 2016. So fun little fact for uh, yeah, Carl Malone. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. 
And we don't have any in Ice 99. Of course, Jordan is retiring and it's a shortened season, so there are none. So we're going to uh, go into the year 2000 in our next episode. Um, one thing I want to do before we go is, um, you know, we were, as we were looking through all the different ones from Michael Jordan, we noticed that he favored some opponents uh, over others. And they might be opponents that you may or may not expect. So let's, uh, we'll, we'll break this down before we go. Um, he had six against the Cavaliers. Four against the Knicks, three against the Celtics, three against the Pistons, uh, three against the Bullets, uh, two against the Trailblazers, two against Philly, two against the Nuggets, two against the Suns, uh, two against the Magic, two against the Heat, two against the Bucks, two against the the Hornets, original Hornets, I, I guess, uh, and then one each against the Nets, uh, Pacers, Hawks, and Lakers. Yeah, I think, well, obviously the Cavs being number one. <laughs> sorry. Right. Yeah, I'm yes. sorry. Yeah. Uh, not surprised yeah. by that. I guess I'm not surprised by the Knicks being fourth. Uh, a little bit about Boston being number three, though, because I always, you know, obviously you have the, 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 the big playoff game. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't really, I, to me, that doesn't jump off the page. The Cleveland and Knicks makes all the sense in the world. Detroit only having three, I guess, makes a little bit of sense given, you know, how they guard them. But, yeah, I, I, it's actually a little bit more dispersed than I thought it would be. I thought there'd be a little bit more blips there other than, unfortunately, Cleveland and, and, and really New York, too. But, uh, yeah, pretty interesting uh, breakdown there uh, of the different teams. But uh, spread to all fields. I mean, there's a lot of teams in there that, that got, uh, unfortunately, uh, beaten up by, uh, by old MJ. So. Yeah, and and yeah, two or three of those against the Cavs, of course, coming in the playoffs. So that's uh, yeah, well, caveat <laughs> LeBron. So everything, everything we're talking okay eventually. So, um, so yeah, um, let's see. I want to look through and see if there's anything else in the notes uh, that would apply here. But I think no, I, I think we've got pretty much everything uh, covered. Uh, hopefully, everyone's uh, enjoying our look at 50 plus uh, point games in uh, NBA history. It's always uh, fun to uh, dive into this and uh, you know learn a lot of fun. Uh, things as we're uh, going here so um anything else rich no i think that's it yeah it's a fun little uh, uh exercise here to you know <laughs> a lot of times on this show we try not to like really focus on you know guys like michael jordan or whatever because it's, it's like you know you probably know most about him but uh, you know you know a lot about him but i think it was still pretty interesting to kind of dive in uh just how prolific of a score he was at this time too and we get some interesting guys in here uh as well and i think the three-point line is definitely helping that it's starting to kind of smooth the curve out a little bit where you're getting kind of random dudes getting three point you know or getting 50 point games uh here so i think this is a time where we get maybe are most surprising in terms of like guys like a Willie Burton and your, your Dana Barrowses and and even your Tracy Murray's or whatnot but uh, pretty interesting time uh, all, all told and yeah I enjoyed this episode a lot yeah cool well thanks uh, everyone for checking us out you can find us at the step back at fansider.com you can also find us uh, wherever you listen to your podcast uh, iTunes uh, Stitcher you know, all the different uh, services, we are on pretty much all of them. If we're not on there, you can uh, let us know and we will get on there. And uh, while you're there, leave us a rating and review because those uh, help make us feel good and help other people find our show as well through the, the fancy algorithms and such. And, uh, yeah, we're also on Facebook and Twitter, both of them at Over and Back NBA. So uh, give us a follow and let us know what you think. So thanks for listening. We're back again soon. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.